0: I want to thank all of you who have uh, continued to pray for our family, uh, for Cindy and her health, and for our little grandbaby. Uh, We, as you know, received the diagnosis when uh, Whitney uh, became pregnant that our our baby had uh, trisomy 18 and probably would not survive the pregnancy. And uh, if she did, she probably wouldn't be with us long. Well, tomorrow our little Evie turns seven weeks old. and uh, (laughs) Thank you. And really, what's even better about that is Evie's here this morning. And uh, so I just wanted you to know that. Whitney, Whitney, would you stand up so everybody can see you and, and Evie, baby? Thank you. Now, Billy said she wanted to hear her daddy play drums, but I think she wanted to hear her papa preach. That's what I wanted to <laughs> So I kinda think that's what that's about. So anyway, so we wanna again thank you for continuing to pray for that uh, little one and we're just gonna enjoy her as long as the Lord gives her to us, right? And uh, every day is a gift, right? We're not promised tomorrow. The Bible says don't boast yourself of tomorrow. You don't know what a day may bring forth. And so we just live it as it comes. We take it a day at a time and that's all any of us can do. But I'm so glad you're here. We're in a series that I hope will help us understand a little bit more about who God is and what he is able to do in our life. In the Bible, there are seven times where Jesus says, I am, I am this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And we're gonna be taking those seven I am's and trying to understand a little more clearly who he is and the impact that he can make in our life. Now these terms, these I am terms are what we call anthropomorphic terms. They're ways whereby you and I who are finite can understand this infinite God. For example, the Bible says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through all the earth. Now that's an anthropomorphic term. It doesn't mean the eyeballs of God are rolling around somewhere on the earth, right? It is a term to help us understand God sees everything. He's everywhere, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. Uh, For example, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, how often would I have covered you and gathered you as a hen doth gather her chickens, but you would not. Now, he's not saying God's a chicken. <laughs> he's simply saying this is an anthropomorphic term to help you understand a little clearly, more clearly who he is and what he's able to do in our life. And this morning, we're gonna talk about this term where he says, I am the door, I am the door. Uh, what is a door? A door is a point of entry, right? It is a threshold by which we move from one dimension into another. We move from one area into another, from one room into another. Doors are significant. We have several doors around this room. And when you move beyond a door, you go into an area you haven't been before. You go into a new experience perhaps you haven't had before. You ever been in a place where they're having a great time on that side of the wall and over here not so much? (laughs) And you're thinking, man, I don't know what's going on on the other side of that door, but they seem to sure be having a wonderful time. There's something incredible and mysterious oftentimes about doors. I heard about a Backwoods family who went to the big city for the very first time. And this man and his wife and their son went into the city. They couldn't believe the sights and how magnificent and how huge the city was. They pull up to a hotel. They'd never seen anything like it before. So the dad says to his mom, honey, wait in the car, me and the boy will go in and check the place out. So they're out in the car, they're waiting around. He's walking through the lobby. He's never seen things like this, chandelier, just opulence and beauty everywhere. And all of a sudden, he and his son saw something unusual. They saw this door, this door on a wall, and a bell would ring, and as the bell rang, the door would open, and out came this group of people. And he noticed that when they stepped uh, uh, through the door, that there was a little old lady, and she stepped through the door, and the door closed, and the bell rang. They stood there, mesmerized. In a moment, the bell rang again, the door opened, and out came this beautiful young woman. And the old man looked at his son and said, boy, did you see that? He goes, yeah. He said, go get your (laughs) ma. Explain it to him later. It's, It's funny when you think about it. The idea that there's something beyond the door. Now, when I use that as a metaphor and try to help us understand what I'm trying to say to you, that when you open the Bible, you see incredible things that are promised in God's word. Peace and forgiveness and blessing and favor. Comfort. You see all of these things in God's word, but so many times and for so many people, it's like you're on the wrong side of the door. You're like hearing these things and you're talking to people who say they're experiencing these things, but it's not your experience. It's not what necessarily is happening in your life. And so what I wanna ask you is, have you ever stepped through the door? Has there been a moment in your life when you've come to terms with the fact that maybe you're living on a level far beneath the level God designed you to live on. The danger of that is most of us will become, uh, will settle rather on the level that we become satisfied on. So we're constantly trying to grow and particularly in our faith, you wanna be connected with your creator so you can discover everything he has for you. Listen, there's something great beyond the door. So if you have a Bible, look with me in John 10 and let's look at this narrative where Jesus uses this very metaphor, where he says, again, most assuredly, I say unto you, I am the door, note now, the door of the sheep. He's saying in contradiction to other doors and to other sheep, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door, the entryway, I am the pathway, I am the connection to which you make contact with God. And he goes on to say, all who ever came before me, people who were pretenders, are thieves and robbers. But the sheep, the true sheep, those that would connect with the creator, didn't hear them. There were many false messiahs in the time in which our Lord lived. There are false teachers, even in our day, who point to different ways whereby you reach heaven. Somebody says it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere, right? Well, what I've found is you can be sincerely wrong. (laughs) You can go out to DFW Airport, and here's what I know, every plane isn't going to Denver. (laughs) No matter how sincere you are, you better make sure you're on the right one. And so he's saying, there are those who have claimed to be the door, but he said, they're not the door at all. In verse nine, he said, I am the door. And he went on to say, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And not only will he be saved, but he has the freedom to go in and out and find pasture. And then he reminds us that the thief, the enemy, the devil does not come, and here's his mission statement, except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I came, he said, that they might have, they might have life, not only heaven, but have it more abundantly. You can have a little heaven on earth. And in this narrative, I wanna point out three things that I hope will help you wrap your minds around this idea, he is a door. Number one, I want you to notice the promise that's given here. He said, I am the door, and this door is open and available to anyone, to anyone. This is not an exclusive club, it's inclusive. It's universal. In Revelation 22, he said, whosoever will, let them come. I don't care where you've come from, I don't care what you've done, I don't care uh, the mistakes of life you may have made. The Bible says there is a door that is available to you. The door is open, it's accessible, it's available, and the door is a relationship to Jesus Christ. Notice he said, I am the door. Uh, We talk all the time that our salvation is not rooted in our religion but instead it's in our relationship to Jesus Christ. And here Jesus says again, I am the door. Now a great thing about a door is when you enter through the door, the door gives you protection, right? You can lock uh, the threat of the world on the outside. The, The door can give you privacy, right? When you step through the door, you have some sense of privacy. So when I I think about that, as I think about him being a door and I think about this promise he's given that if you step through the door, you you will be saved. If you step through the door, you can experience an abundant life. When I think about those promises, I think they also involve this element of privacy. This idea that everything you've ever done, every mistake you've ever made, once you're connected with your creator, the Bible says those things are forgiven. And not only the forgiven, those things are as if they never happened. They're erased from his memory. The Bible says he puts our sins as far as the east is from the west. He sees us differently. He no longer sees us as sinners, he sees us as saints. There's an amazing transformation that takes place through this promise that we uh, can uh, afford ourselves to when we step through the door. Think about it this way. In Romans 8. There are three very uh, negative emotions that he talks about that people experience when they haven't stepped through the door, when they haven't connected to their creator. The first emotion is condemnation. And there are a lot of people who don't attend church because of feelings of condemnation. Uh, they, they, They don't feel worthy. They feel like they've made too many mistakes. They don't think God would or could forgive them, so they don't even try to ask. And there are these negative emotions of condemnation. And by the way, those things go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? When sin entered the picture, the original sin, what accompanied the original sin was condemnation. Death was then passed as a sentence upon all men for all of sin. Uh, John 3.18, the Bible says we're condemned already. There's a sense in which those who have not stepped through the threshold and into a relationship with Jesus Christ, they're under condemnation, right? And that's a strong and a negative and a heavy emotion. And not only is there that that emotion of condemnation, there's also the emotion of guilt. Incredible sense of guilt. Guilt's a powerful negative emotion. Just go through life with this heavy sense of, I can't get past my past and I can't get over the things that I've done. And then ultimately it leads you to this idea that I'm just separated from God. The gulf is too wide. There's no way I can ever be forgiven or no way I can ever come into a relationship with him. And then you roll into a place like this and you hear a person like me say, it's possible to step through a threshold whereby all of that can be done away with. It is possible to step through a threshold and enter into another dimension whereby condemnation is done away with and guilt is no more and you're no longer separated from God. And that's exactly what Paul had in mind when he wrote in Romans eight, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who have stepped through the threshold, those who have entered through that door, one of the most powerful things God does is he takes condemnation off of you. You know how he does it and, and, and can do that and still be just? It's because all of that happened at the cross. He took all all that condemnation, the holiness of God demanded justice, so it had to be dealt with. So where did he deal with it? He dealt with it at the cross. So when I step through the threshold and I lay hold of the promise that he he will receive me if I will reach out to him, when I understand that, I realize God has removed condemnation off of me. Not only that, he's taking guilt away. Now, not guilt in the sense that I may not still sense a feeling of guilt, but guilt in the sense that he looks at me and says, there's no reason for you to feel guilty. So I have to tell people all the time, when God has forgiven you, here's the hard part, forgive yourself. Let it go. Some of you are beating yourself up with stuff God's forgave you about years ago. Some of you are guilty about stuff he no longer even sees. I remember an evangelist that my dad had him one time when I was a kid in his church. This guy was real dynamic, you know as most evangelists are. And he preached this message, and in his message, as best as I could remember as a kid, he kind of described heaven as a place where every sin you've ever committed would be fleshed out so that the whole world would see everything wrong you've ever done. Man, I hadn't done a lot of sinning up to that point, but what I had done, I didn't want everybody to know. And he kind of dangled us out over the pit a little while. Just roasted us for a minute or two. And, and, the, and the, what he was trying to persuade us to is this idea that man, you, you know, one of these days is like heaven is this, this big U.A. cinema thing and on, on three big screens, you know, there's, a, there's a, the life and times of Bill Ramsey you know, all these screens are gonna light you just get your popcorn and come and observe. And, and, and it was, the message was designed just to scare the devil out of you, right? And it was effective, I hit the altar. (laughs) You know, it worked for me. But I realized later on, that's actually not true. Uh, Heaven is not gonna be a place where every rotten sorry thing I've ever done or you've done or thought about doing is gonna be made known. First of all, we're only gonna be there for eternity and there's gonna be a lot of us there. And can you imagine what a depressing place that would be if if we're just going in one theater out the other watching every rotten thing we've ever, now some of you, I'll be honest with you, I'd kinda like to see a little bit of your show. I'd like to to catch about, a. don't know, at least an hour or two of your life. It'd be interesting, I think. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's not what's going to happen. I mean, heaven is a place of rewards or the loss of reward, where we stand before God and and we're either rewarded for the things that we've done in this body or we lose reward. It's not the sin. You know where sin was dealt with? At the cross. (laughs) That's where that was dealt with. So we go through life with this sense of guilt and this fear that one day I'm gonna stand before God and all this stuff is gonna come out on me finally. And I'm just suggesting to you that when you have stepped through the threshold, one of the things that happens is privacy. He's forgiven you. He's lifted the condemnation off of you. He says in Romans eight, who will lay anything to the charge of my elect? Meaning who can, you accuse, who can, who can accuse you of anything that I have not forgiven you of is the idea. No guilt. And then the third thing is separation. The latter part of Romans eight, he said, who shall separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus? Shall height, or death, or angels, or principalities, or things present, or things to come? And then he wraps it up and says nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means there's not one thing you can do to make God love you more, and there's not one thing you can do to make him love you less. His love is perfected. You're his kid. You're one of his sheep. He's your shepherd. You've stepped through the door. It's an incredible promise, you are saved. You're as sure for heaven as though you're already there. You are sealed with the spirit of promise and one of these days he will will present us to his father and he will present us to his father with great pride as his bride and he will say, these are mine. So when you read this idea that Jesus is the door, you understand with that, there carries this idea of privacy. He's forgiven you of your past. Oh, that's peace too, peace. That's involved in that. One of the things the shepherd will do is calm the sheep. When the sheep are anxious and stressful, they don't eat well and they don't sleep well. So the shepherd will calm the sheep. How many of you have ever heard the idea if you have trouble uh, sleeping, you count sheep, right? You count the sheep. I don't know how many of you have done that. Uh, I've never tried it. I I, I prefer to talk to the shepherd (laughs) as to count the sheep. I I did read an article that was interesting. It said that they're cloning sheep now, you know that. They've been doing that for some time. But they said the problem they're having is they're cloning sheep It's when they go to do inventory, the the people doing the inventory keep falling asleep. (laughs) I'm sorry, that was just just there. It's over the plate, it was slow, I could just hit that one. But the point is, there's peace. You remember the, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the psalmist said, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leads me beside still waters, he restores my soul, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, I, even in that experience, I feel no, fear no evil, why? For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, thou anointest my head with oil surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David said, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's a pretty good promise. You know how you get in on that? You step through the door. (laughs) It's a promise. Here's the second thing that happens. It's a provision. It's provision. You remember I read to you a moment ago, you can go in and out and find good pasture. What does that mean? That means when you are connected with the creator, you can be very comfortable and familiar in his presence. Here's what I know about your kids. Your kids don't ring the doorbell when they wanna come into your house, right? What I know about your kids is they don't knock when they wanna come into your room, most of them. They just, why? They're your kids. There's a familiarity they have. They don't call and say, mom, is it okay if I come home? <laughs> what, what are you? Where are you? Get home, right? I mean, they can go in and out of your house. Now, the only people that have that freedom to do that are family, are very close friends. How many people know your, uh, your garage code, right? One, 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 one. <laughs> very sophisticated code. How many, of you, how many of you, how many people in your circle know your alarm code? If you have an alarm on your house, they can go through. Think about, it. think about who is in your circle. You have people in your circle you trust that you love that are in relationship with you. They can come and they can go. They can enter and they can exit. That's exactly what he's driving at here. He's saying when you step through the threshold and you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you can go in and out and find good pasture. You don't have to ring the doorbell. You don't have to knock. You don't have to ask for the code. He's already let you in. You're part of the family. In fact, in John 14, he said, just ask in my name. And if it's something that the father can be glorified in the son, I'll grant it to you, provided you in his name. So we can go before God and we have the relationship to him to ask for anything in his name, in his authority is the idea. I remember years ago when the kids were little, they had a little carnival, they still do this down at the Lions Club in Keller. And we took the kids down there. So you, back then they did this deal, you go buy all these tickets, you know? So I said, okay, here's the deal. I'm gonna be standing right over here. This just where I'm gonna be. It's kind of like in the mall. You know how that is in the mall, the benches that are there designed, they're there for the men. They're there for the men. You never see women on those benches. Have you noticed that? Let me just divert long enough to say, I really think there's something in those malls, in the AC uh, air conditioners, that, that, that are blowing through, this, uh, just a theory, that, that are going through the AC system, that when women smell that, it energizes them, and when men smell it, it sucks the life right out of them. I don't know what, have you noticed that, guys? You can go into that mall and all of a sudden you're like, I'm melting. And you got to f- crawl to the bench and sit there with all the other old guys. Well, at the, at the fair, I'm saying, hey, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be on the bench with the older guys, all the other dads. So if you need me, you come. So I give them these tickets, right? And all of a sudden, I'm having these kids come up to me and say, Shannon said that you would give me two or three tickets. And i oh, okay. So I'm peeling off tickets. No, anyway, Billy said that you give me two or three tickets, so peeling off. And all of a I have tickets, so I'm over there to the think buying more tickets. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, don't you kids have parents? Who did who did you come with? Why am I supplying tickets? And what those kids knew is they could get to me in the name of one of my kids. They pretty much could get anything I had. That's John 14. <laughs> Jesus said, "You come to the Father in my name, and you pretty much get whatever I have." There ought to be a familiarity. So, do you realize prayer stagnated in the first century because the rabbis taught prayer to be such a difficult thing that the average person didn't think they could do it? Did you know there is a Jewish prayer that has 63 adjectives before the name of God? 63 adjectives. And not only did you have to pray it and get those adjectives in the proper order, you had to pray the prayer at the proper time and you had to make sure the prayer fit with the proper circumstance. What? What? I mean, magnificent and wonderful and gracious and great and almighty and powerful are thou, O God. And if I don't get all of those in the proper perspective, God's going to say, talk to the hand. Go back to you and get it right. I'm not hearing what you have to say. Jesus came on the scene and said, no, you go to God with the familiarity of a father. Call him Abba. Call him dad. Call him, whatever you call your dad. Again, I go back to my kids. I can tell you. I never had one of my kids at any point in my life walk up to me and go, oh, thou great, magnificent, most powerful, awesome father who inhabits the cab of thy truck. If this thy child who beseeches thee would ask that thou bestowest upon me a Benjamin. Never happened. That's all I got on that old English stuff. Never happened. What they would do is hit my wallet if I left it on the counter and I'd find out later, <laughs> I don't have money in there, you know. Or they would just hit me up, I need $10. They did nothing, I no, just need not wire, whatever, just I need 10, right? How many guys in the room relate to that? Girls, you relate to that, right? It's your kids. And if you look at them and tap the brake on that, they look at you like you're the one that's crazy, right? <laughs> What's my point? My point is you're in relationship. They look at you like, this is your job. You're supposed to take care of me. And that is how that works. And so God is saying, in fact, he even said, he uses. I love this humor he uses. He says, hey, which one of you who has a child, if you approach him for bread, would you give him a stone? He said, in another place, if your child comes and wants fish, would you give him a serpent? Now there's a lot of humor in the Bible. I gotta tell you, that's funny when you think about it. Your kid coming saying, dad, I'm hungry. I'd like a fish sandwich and you toss him a snake. I'd like some toast and you say, chew on a rock. That's kind of funny. So the point is Jesus is saying there with that illustration, he said, if you being of the earth love your children that much, how much more does your heavenly father love you? So the point he's making is we make this a lot harder than it is. When you've stepped through the door, you can can acquire his promise of forgiveness, salvation, abundant life. And also you enjoy his provision. There's a familiarity. There's a freedom you have to go in and out and find good pasture. Here's the last thought. It also involves his protection. Part of being a door was used to protect the sheep. I said a moment ago, you lock the door at times, right? You have, we have security systems and we we have these things to protect who's in the house. You, You protect the people you love. You protect the things you love. So you have this door, well, those enclosures in that first century time were just rock enclosures. Most of them didn't have a top and very few of them had an actual physical door. So you know who slept at the door? The shepherd, the shepherd slept at the door when our kids were little, Cindy's grandfather would keep them a lot of times. Cindy and her mom and grandmother and aunt, they'd go shopping or whatever they were doing. And so he would keep them. He worked for the railroad, so he had kind of a flexible schedule. And what he would do is when he kept the kids and it was time for a nap, he would put them down in the bed for their nap and he would read a book, but he would lay in the doorway of the bedroom while he read the book. And he told me later, he said, that way if I fall asleep, they're gonna have to crawl over me to get out pretty smart. That's exactly the, the word picture here. He's at the door. Before you can get out, you've got to crawl over him. <laughs> and by the way, before anything can get to you, it has to crawl over them. That's why he said, hey, the wolf is always at the door, but so is the shepherd. He said, the wolf comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But he said, I'm here too. Understand the wolf is coming, but so is the shepherd. Some of you might have been chased into this room this morning. The wolf is at the door. Maybe a bad relationship. Some of you dated wolves, haven't you? (laughs) Some of you married some wolves. Uh, The wolf is at the door. Maybe a bad job situation. Maybe just a bad circumstance, maybe a health situation. And I'm just saying, some of you came into the, the flock this morning, into this pen, because the wolf is at the door. But can I remind you this morning, so is the shepherd. You know what he's available to do? He's available in that narrative to come against anything that comes against you. When Peter walked on the water, you know what the beautiful picture of that walking on the water on his way to Jesus was? Is Peter was walking over the very thing that could have put him under. I'm just suggesting to you this morning, the shepherd is available, accessible there's an opportunity you have not only to enjoy his promise and his great provision, but to know his protection. And I love this, and let me close with this. In in Luke 15, when Jesus was expanding on this a little bit, he talked about how sheep are prone to wander. They're prone to wander. I, I talk to sheep every week that wander. Some of them just go astray, leave the flock, walk away from the shepherd. And in Luke 15, the Bible says what the shepherd will do, he will secure the 99. You know what he'll do? He'll go looking for that one. Some of you are the one. You think you just happened into this room by happenstance or accident. No, you didn't. (laughs) You got a shepherd out there that's looking for you. You can't go so far that he can't find you. You can't do so much that he won't love you. You can't get yourself into anything he can't get you out of. You aren't so messed up that he can't find a way through this. Shepherd's coming for you. Why? You belong to him. He loves you. Some of you are cast. I talked about the sheep that get cast. They roll over on their back and they can't right themselves. They're cast and they'll die in that shape, in that condition. Some of you can't fix yourself. You go in and out of a relationship. You try this job and that job. You, you try this and you try that. You've tried this and the other thing and nothing seems to satisfy. You're cast, you're cast your feet are pointing up toward heaven, and you don't feel that anyone can help you, let me tell you, the shepherd's coming for you. Maybe why you're here this morning. He brought you to this room so he can tell you one more time how much he loves you. You may wander, but the shepherd's coming for you. Some of you are that one. So I wanna challenge you this morning, encourage as I close this morning, to realize God can be trusted. He loves you more than you love you. You might not die for you, but he did. And he's brought, bringing you and wanting to bring you back into, the, back into the flock. We need each other. We need each other. You need a place like this where you can be strengthened. It's not perfect. Heavens, no. I don't even like everything we do. Are you kidding me? I can pick anybody's church apart. I can pick any preacher apart because none of us are perfect. But what I found in my life, by the way, that it doesn't take any skill. Any idiot with a hammer can tear something up. <laughs> it takes some skill to build something. So I'm just suggesting to you this morning that we're not a perfect place. It's not a perfect flock, but if God's leading you here, you need to be here. You may find some strength and encouragement and some help and some healing. So I encourage you to respond to your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that you say in Isaiah never returns void. And so, Lord, we rest in that. I pray this morning for some of my friends who've wandered away. And I pray this morning that they'll sense the shepherd's voice. You said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them. May they hear your voice calling them home. Father, I pray you will touch and heal some broken people. Some are broken over illness, and some are broken over relationships, and some are broken emotionally. I just pray, Lord, you'll touch and begin a process of healing them as you bring them to yourself. And, Lord, I pray that our church will always be a safe place for people who are struggling to find you, to discover you. For those this morning and those watching who may have never stepped through that threshold, I pray, Lord, they'll take that step of faith today and say, Lord Jesus, I can't do this without you. With all that is in me, I trust you and give you my heart today. And finally, Lord, for those who just need someone to pray for them before they go home, I pray as I close, they'll come and allow someone to spend a few minutes here at the front just to pray for them and encourage them before they go. I pray you'll bless this week. Keep the kids safe as they go back to school. Bless the families, the businesses represented in this room. I pray for all those who who need you, Lord, that they'll walk with you this week, press into you. Thank you, Father, for the joy it is to know Jesus, for the joy it is to make you known. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great rest of your week. I'll see you next weekend. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.